Welcome to episode 30 of Paper Talk, a monthly series of podcast interviews featuring artists and professionals who are working in the field of hand paper making and paper art. I'm Helen Hebert, and today I'm talking with Heidi Kyle and Ula Warshall, who have a new book out called The Art of the Fold. We talk about Heidi's childhood in post-war Germany when she made paper dolls and paper chains, among other things, and how she ended up in the United States after her studies in Germany. Ula is Haiti's daughter and grew up in and around Haiti's studios in the Bay Area and New York City, where she went to the Cooper Union to study architecture. We talk about how this book came about, the process of creating the book, Ula rendered the illustrations from Haiti's hand-drawn diagrams, and her husband, Paul Warshall, did the photography. And there was a lot of discussion about the belly band, a term I hadn't heard before. Haiti tells me about a paper made in the Netherlands from the sales of old windmills, and I ask her about her storage system for all of her models. And we talk about some of the clever inventions that are found within the pages of the book. Haiti Kyle and Ula Warshall, welcome to Paper Talk. I'm so happy to have you on the show to talk about your new book, The Art of the Fold, How to Make Innovative Books and Paper Structures. We'll talk about the book in a minute, but first I'd like to hear a little bit about your backgrounds. So, Haiti, tell me a little bit about your childhood and if paper played a role in it. Well, the, the, the best part of my childhood was uh, living on an island in the North Sea. And it was after the war and it was still a very, everything was very scarce and we had no toys or very few. And they were all basically homemade by my parents and my, my grandmother. And paper was always a big deal. Um, so I did, you know, I, I can't say I did origami necessarily, but I did fold like paper hats and the little um, cutie catchers. Uh-huh. And I didn't know how to make a little square box, like the Masu box. And, um, but basically what I used paper for was paper dolls. That was my passion. Uh-huh. Draw my own dolls and then make the clothes, cut them out, color them. And also um, make paper chains. We, my sister and I love to make paper chains out of colored strings, um, strips of paper, you know, gluing them into rings and interlocking them. And, so we did, we did use a lot of paper, also for drawing and for stuff. And um, did you save candy wrappers and all the no, papers no, you no, saved today? No, that came much later. I did uh, not. Well, I mean, we reused paper, you know, recycled it, but I wasn't really collecting it in any in any um, organized form. Right. Um, I used to make the little theaters and cardboard boxes with. Um, with, um, you know, sceneries and stuff, three-dimensional, basically. Right, right. And then you, you went to college and studied? I went to an art school that was kind of based on the Bauhaus. Okay. So we, we did a lot of things that the Bauhaus had done. Oh. And um, the paper came in in a big way, like every year, like in Germany, the carnival. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, all the art schools in Ger- Germany make, um, as a fundraiser, they make big parties. Right, this is like uh, the Mar- uh, Mardi Gras, right? What we yeah. call Mardi Gras, yeah. 
And so our school would close, but not close, but for two weeks we had no normal classes and the whole school was transformed into one gigantic fantasy land. And we worked basically paper, cardboard, and uh, paint. And ah. You know, forests and castles, and even uh, the sea. I remember we made Manhattan, you know, with this big building. Uh-huh. And so it was pretty, that's, and I loved that. And everybody had to participate. Some people didn't like it. Right. Other people were just waiting for the opportunity to break out and uh, create those things. And that was the other, that was the thing. When I, um, Graduated and was uh, worked as a commercial artist. I never did any three-dimensional things except for accordion-folded brochures. Uh huh. No, no. I mean, I did, don't even remember anybody else doing that. It was all flat work. You know, no pop-ups or anything like that. So it was just the graphic design. Yeah. It's the type and the images. Right. Cutting and pasting with real glue. Oh my God! <laughs> I did that too. <laughs> it had been in the nineteen late fifties. Yeah, that was in the uh, yeah in the fifties, yeah mid fifties, late fifties. Yeah. And was that that was in Germany first? How did you Germany? And, and then, then how did you get to America? Who was traveling? Who was American and traveling through Europe on a motorcycle? Okay. And he. Um, so when he went back, you know, we stayed in touch and uh, the idea was to follow. Uh, so uh-huh. I decided to go to the USA and I landed in, in Hoboken. I came by a ship with my little trunk. Uh-huh. And that, that's, you know, then we, we lived on the Lower East Side in a small apartment and then we got a loft. We had one of the first lofts on Grand Street in Manhattan. Huge. Okay. Okay. And that's where my son was born. And then it became too, um, I didn't, I wanted to move out of the city at the time. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Especially with a baby. And like, so we decided to move to California, which we did. Okay. First. And we didn't really know anybody. And we just drove around and we landed on Haight Street and thought, oh, this is like a nice neighborhood. Let's, let's find an apartment here, which we did. And then a few months later, it exploded. You know, right. and the whole right. team. And so then, um, by that time, I had Ulla also. So I had two children, babies, babies you know, small children. So I didn't really, uh, I wanted to move to the country, which mm-hmm. did, um, outside of Berkeley in a, in a kind of a, you know, rural setting. And then later we moved to Berkeley and that's when I started to kind of work on all kinds of things, you know, fabric and um, not so much paper at first, but um, that came later anyway. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you mentioned Ula. Let's bring Ula into the conversation. And Ula, Ula is your daughter. Hi, Ula. And I was reading on your, or your bio, and I felt a kinship immediately, because we haven't met in person. I've met Haiti before. Um, we were born the same year. <laughs> and we were born the same year, we discovered. And Haiti has long gray hair like my mother, who is a similar age. <laughs> so I love that. My mother's my age. Uh-huh. 
and she's kept her long gray hair. Yeah, I love it. I saw a picture of your mom just recently. Uh huh. On Facebook or something. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, Ula, you said how you like to look at things and look at them and say, how is this made and how would I make it? And I think I'm sure that comes from Haiti too. And I, I feel the same way. I'm always taking things apart in my mind. Um, so tell me about your childhood with Haiti. Um, well, we, we uh, started out in Berkeley and by um, 1970, so by the time I was five or six years old, we had, um, you know, that sort of lovely childhood in a s small town city like that. But by 1970, we had made our way back to New York, or she had made her way back to New York with my brother and I, um, again, on the Lower East Side, and this time as a single mom. Um, and uh, we basically grew up there, on both, first on Forsyth Street and then on First Street in two lofts. Uh, they were always, um, actually the loft that we really grew up in was an old print, printing factory with a commercial bindery sign on the front of it. So I guess that sort of was a sign of things to come. But, um, you know, I, I, Haiti always had her studio in our loft. It was an open plan. Um, so she was always, she was always working. She always had a day job first, uh, teaching, you know, after school center, te substitute teaching, um, picking up income where she could, but at night she always was making things in the studio. And I was always sitting next to her. Yeah, she would <laughs> almost sit on my lap and said, can, can I do this? It wasn't until years later when I had a studio and a daughter and uh, her, her friends and I structured my studio very much on that I thought I'll have a space for my daughter in my studio ah. and I could never get anything done and I when they were there and I so I called mom up and I said how did you do this because I remember sitting in your studio and you were very busy and she said Ula when you were there I never got anything done <laughs> <laughs> so I sort of uh, I sort of watched and absorbed and um, you know uh, you know, that was her whole, those were the years, the 1970s were her whole year of development um, in the book arts and with paper, and it was all new, and there was a lot of um, exciting stuff happening. Um, my father is a builder and a carpenter. I was very much, um, you know, we didn't grow up with him, but I would visit him um, in the summer. He would take us to construction sites and there was always a concrete truck arriving. We were always, um, you know, my brother and I were always kind of somewhat helpers on it. I was very interested in that. Um, I thought that was kind of why I was sort of drawn to architecture. And it wasn't until, uh, which, is, which is ultimately what I studied in school. I went to the reunion, which was actually only seven blocks away from our loft on First Street. Um, and I thought that that was why I studied architecture was because of, of of my father, um, and it wasn't until I guess I was in my 20s or 30s that Haiti and I started collaborating on book structures, and I realized that she was doing the structure and I was working on the content, and sort of our, our whole, um, my whole uh, impression of, you know, where the architecture came from was 
um, it was a revelation because, you know, she was very much concerned with the structure of the book. And Cooper was an architecture school that didn't prescribe a very sort of strict definition of architecture. You could really do architecture in any medium at any scale. Mm-hmm. It was more about, you know, the process and thinking architecturally. And so ultimately I sort of, you know, came back to a, um, came back to the roots where I set up my studio as a bindery because I realized that you can practice architecture in paper at that scale. That's kind of where we, where we came back together. Um, Right. And when did you say that was? And so what was like a first project that you worked on together? A first project that we worked on as a collaboration, I mean, I sort of started teaching with Haiti probably right when I finished college, occasionally. I went to PBI for the first time the year I graduated from architecture school. That was in uh, 89. And then in the 90s, we uh, started doing a few things. But probably it wasn't until the late 90s, um, early 2000s that we started We started doing some um, collaborations. You know, I was, I had an architectural practice in New York. I had two kids. I was, you know, I was very much still in that world. Um, So I would say the 2000s when I moved out to Pennsylvania, she was living in Philadelphia. I had a studio, Mm -hmm. she had a studio. And then we started, um, so about uh, 20 years ago. Yeah. Okay, and let's just go backtrack to Haiti and your um, your discovery of paper and folding. Like what was, I think you discovered the Center for Book Arts early on. And then- I first had to, um, got a job in the book bindery, and now it's a conservation lab of the New York Botanical Garden. Okay. A very low-paying, uh, you know, entry job making wrappers for books and dusting, you know. And how, how did you find that? Well, I, had, uh, uh, I, I met a woman at a party and I, I was um, looking for work and she said, oh, I can get you a job, you know. Well, the job doesn't really paid so lousy that it wasn't. But I, I realized right away that I, first of all, could do this very well. Uh, and second, uh, I loved it, you know, mm-hmm. I loved it books and, and the garden and all, you know, it's a great environment. And they sent me, they liked what, what I was doing, and they sent me to Laura Young as, um, as a student, one day a week for eight hours. And they paid me for her, which was about three times as much per hour that I made per hour. Oh, wow. So to me, it was great because I could have never afforded to do that. And Laura Young was my... Um, from her, I learned all the basics, traditional binding, you know, right. not only the basics, but everything, leather work, gold stamping, tooling, you know, oh. you name it, everything. But I also, um, at every stage of the book, you know, I, I thought, oh, this looks really interesting. Why do I have to cover this up? You know, like <laughs> So I, I experimented with different kinds of structures. And the first uh, really different thing that came, oh, then I, I, um, I met Richard Minsky. Mm-hmm. And, uh, he was kind of, I had a few little things in an exhibit which he liked. They were like just very 
basic accordion books with some folds and stuff, you know. And so he invited me to teach at the center. That was like in the, in the mid-70s, I think, 76 or something. And um, that's where I came up with a flag book. Uh-huh. Uh, by folding accordions and then making them narrower and narrower so that they actually became the spine of the book. And then it was only a step further to take a piece of card or paper and insert it, you know, in between the fold and then find that once you pull it apart, you know, it just all spreads out. So the flag book was really the first, so, so to speak, artist book that I made. And that was in the 70s somewhere. And um, from there, you know, just go out. Other things kept coming and I became very interested and uh, there was a response and I liked um, to teach it and show it to people. And the other things came out, came after that very, you know, rapidly. And, and then I was invited for my, to teach my first workshop in California. That uh-huh. was exciting. I met like a lot of people there that I still am friends with today and, and they really And so how did that happen? Hmm? How did you get invited to California? You met someone in New York and you know I can't it doesn't matter that was that invited me. It came to New York. I, I really don't yeah. remember. Okay. Um I know one thing. Well well I met all these people, you know, like Gary Foss, for instance, was very important for me to meet. And then he and I were invited to this um, the conference at Columbia for the papermakers. Do you remember that? I no, it was before me. You must have heard about it. It was a, a huge conference and everybody was there, uh, like the, the uh, Cassie and Howard Clark and Claire Van Fleet and Tim Barrett and you know, all these people and printers, printers and papermakers. And I think it was maybe mostly printers. Anyway, it was no book arts. Okay. And book arts was not really that big at the time. But they invited Gary and me to do a, a demo. And we had like all our models. You know, Gary was working. I mean, I was very influenced by what he was doing, even though later on it kind of went into different directions. So actually, we blew their mind. They said, uh-huh. what? How is, you know, we can't even believe that we... And so Claire and Bleed, they all came up and they just, you know, and that was really a, a moment of um, what you call these moments. Aha moment. A moment. Oh. Evolutionary moment. Yeah, whatever. So that was very important. And I felt really empowered by, by all the response. And right. So then um, Tim Bell invited me to attend this conference that was called no workshop, intense paper intensive in Oxbow. Right? In Oxbow, in eighty, okay. and there was Winifred Lutz, the Clarks. Um, anyway, a lot of paper makers, and and Tim, of course, and then and it, it was already paper and book, or was it just no, paper? Only paper and okay, okay. And I was teaching book structures, and they all loved it, you know, because. They made their paper and then we turned it yeah. into books. was there, turned it into books. So at the end of the conference, Tim and I were talking, what about um, making, uh, including book arts? We call it book and paper intensive. 
Mm -hmm. I would invite Gary to, to be the third person. And that's how it came. And then in 83, we did the first PBI. Okay. And PBI still happens every, every year. Yeah. Yeah. And you, I met you, um, you were correct. Like, I think we met at a workshop at the center or something. Did you yep. bring your daughter to your, as a baby to PBI? Okay. I was trying to remember. Yeah. In 19 or 2000, my son, it was my son. He was one year old and he and my husband came with me to PBI. I remember a baby. Like yeah, yeah, he was one. Yeah, one. Well, he didn't walk until he was 18 months, so he was still being carried around. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. We won't tell him that. But anyway. <laughs> All right. I, I, but I, was, I don't think I was there in 2000. I think I, uh, we met in 96, probably, at PBI. Okay, yeah, I think I did go once before. Anyway, uh -huh. we met. I, mean, I saw you several times at conference yeah. or you know, whatever. Right, right. And okay. For, you know, for, the, for your book, Playing with Paper. That's right. You contributed to two yeah. wonderful projects to that book. Um, so just talk briefly then. So I want to get to the book. but So then after the New York Botanical Garden, how you got to Philadelphia? And well, the Botanical Garden had always really big financial problems. And there was no retirement plan, no pension, nothing. And I needed to kind of think about that. Mm -hmm. So I applied for a job at the American Philosophical Society and moved to Philadelphia. Okay, and tell us what the American Philosophical Society is and then what it's your role was. The second library founded by Benjamin Franklin in Philadelphia. The library company was the first and the American Philosophical Society was the second. So it's an old... A library full of history and you know American um, whatever. They have a lot of um, um, copies of you know the charter from King James. Yeah, they have everything. Yeah. But the other interesting thing was that Carolyn Horton, you know who she is. Right? Yeah, Carol Horton. Carolyn oh. Horton. Carolyn. She got her, her maiden name was Carolyn Wu. Okay. She restored many books for the American Philosophical Society, and she kept beautiful records. And later on, she had a, a huge conservation business in New York City, and a lot of people studied with her. She and Laura Young were the two grand arms of conservation and bookbinding. And um, so that was really fun to, to see her work, you know, that she had done like 30 earlier or whatever. Right. Roman Spawn was my, I took his position when he retired. I don't know whether you know him, but I don't. Oh, well, anyway. And so you were, you worked as a conservator then? Yes, yes. Well, yeah. that was in 1986, and that was also yeah. the same year. In 86, I, I, I got the position and I moved to Philadelphia. So Haiti was 49 years old. So anybody that thinks you can't start a whole new life. <laughs> At the I age did. of 50 yeah. is wrong because um, not only did you start that job, but we were all worried about like, how is she going to have any friends and she doesn't know anybody. <laughs> and so concurrently you started teaching. At yeah. Like I, I, I was, um, I already had a little bit of a reputation. And so one of the um, printmakers at the university of the arts, which was Philadelphia college, uh, at, you know, in, in Philadelphia, invited me for lunch and said, you know, she was thinking of maybe I could teach some classes. 
And so that led to, I was there over 20 years teaching in the book arts and printmaking program. Right. So you were, and you were working full time yes, as a conservator and teaching at night? Yeah. Yeah, late afternoon uh, tonight, yeah. Which also was not only a source for lots of um, people that grew up and became conservators. So you were, you were Oh, training. that's the other thing. You know, I, the students, I invited some of the students to be interns. Ah, okay. So a number of them, including Denise. Of Carbone, course, yeah. Dog, uh, you know, uh, um, a student and also became my assistant and now then my, you know, my colleague and you know and so we have had like a long relationship and um yeah a lot of students went into conservation because of the internships at the american philosophical society and when i retired denise continued that part oh so great it was really wonderful how and we had a great boss who really supported that very much that's wonderful. And um, yeah, what, amazing, what an amazing contribution you've made to the field, Haiti. Thank you. Artistically and conservation-wise, yeah. And what a wonderful woman. Yay. Wonderful students and, and, and other people that, you know, that made it happen too. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ula, I'll let you tell the story about how this book uh, got born. Uh, I think Paul Jackson had something to do with it. Um, well, we were, yes, he certainly did. We were um, always talking about doing a book probably for um, 10 years. We had, we had thought about this, you know, and it just seemed overwhelming. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the reasons is that um, Haiti is a, you know, she gets up and she goes into her studio and she's just off and running. So, you know, there's this kind of constant invention, constant, uh, you know, sort of desire to, to do something new and a new workshop and, and not do the same workshop. And so there's, there was this, you know, writing a book has a lot to do with kind of standing still in a certain way, um, right. you know, in order to make it all, and getting um, very organized. Getting very organized. Life. Looking back, actually, really taking things apart and, you know, yeah, standing still. So that wasn't Haiti. And it sort of wasn't me. I mean, I was also, um, I have a, you know, um, we knew we were going to do it. We just didn't know how and in, in what form it was going to be. And um, anyway, we had a very important sort of trip out to Portland um, in 2015, where mom had a, a workshop at, uh, at OCAC with Barb Tettenbaum, and um, we started to talk to Barb about it. You know, it was percolating. And then in 2016, she had a, um, a, a show at the San Francisco Center for the book, um, and they did this beautiful catalog, and the, it was a real retrospective show, you know, with a lot of the work and we started to kind of really see clearly like the different kinds of structures and where they had gone and other people's sort of mm. development and um you know we just had this very um good that, that that gave some good perspective to the whole arc of haiti's career with the structures um and um when we came back from that 
and people were saying, I want to help you with the book. I, you know, and we just still didn't know, like, how are we going to do this? Plus, Haiti had moved out of Philadelphia. We'd, she'd moved up to the country. And um, I just spent two years with my brother and my um, father building her house for her and her husband, Jürgen. Um, so, you know, it was all, it's all about timing, really, mm-hmm. actually. I think it's sort of, what right. it, you know, like timing and having the sort of, yeah, but we, we really needed a little push from and somebody. we needed a push. And, and that was, that's where Paul comes when in. We, when we came back from that trip, there was an email from Paul Jackson, who we had never met. Yeah. He had never I met. mean, I, I had admired his latest book at the time, the... Folding uh, uh, Techniques. Folding Techniques for Designers. You know, right. Know. Yes. Yes. It's He's written many. Enough. In, your, in your book, my page is right next to this. Ah, okay. You ever notice that? Yes. No. Anyway, he had seen some of my work um, in Ascona. Susan, Suzanne Schmolgruber, who is the director there, um, she showed it to him and she said she's not, she talks about writing a book, but I don't think she's going to. (laughs) (laughs) That's what Suzanne told Paul. About Haiti, okay. Right, about Haiti. (laughs) And so so Paul went, uh, so Paul sent an email and said, you have to write a book. And I'll help you do it, and I will propose it to my publisher. I propose it to my publisher. And then I realized I really, with Paul, he lives in Israel, that just would be pretty much impossible for me to work with somebody. Right. Somebody really close by. And I mean, Ulla was a perfect person. She also has the same aesthetic. She has the same... um, you know, she understands what I'm doing, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> now I do. <laughs> <laughs> and she said, Mom, I, be, I help you. Uh-huh. And kind of uh, told him that, and he sent him some drawings and pictures and things. And, and he was very, um, he said, you don't need me. You, you, mm-hmm. I can do that, you can do that. But I would get, I would introduce it to Lawrence King in, in London, which he did. And that was really incredible. Right. They really were so good. Right? They were terrific. They, they were, were amazing. We, we worked with them really well. They were totally, you know, there was never any time where we had a dispute or... Um, yeah, no, they were they were super. I mean, they really gave us complete freedom. You know, we had no guidelines. The only thing they what, they did not give us freedom was how big the book. We had to kind of stick to the hundred and um, however many pages it is. Well, ninety-one pages. It had to be hundred ninety-one. Well, pages. actually, it, it all started with how big do you want your book to be and how many pages, which we told them. Yeah, we wanted to be eight by ten and one hundred ninety-two pages, and then they made us stick to that. So, you know, you get you go into a process, of right? Where they're they're dealing with the marketing and we had more know, stuff, but we couldn't um, put it in. So, so we had to sure make a selection of what we wanted to put in. Right, and they designed it, right? Yeah, but Ulla really helped a lot with the design. So you you could envision the page layout? Is that what you're saying? Mm -hmm. They came up with a a page layout, and then we had to um, work with them to sort of finesse that. So, you know, there's the whole 
It basically um, designed it, yeah. There's the whole thing between photos, drawings, right. where's your text, how long is your text, you know, all of that, and especially in an instructional manual, you know. There's so many books um, out there that have beautiful photos, and um, for anyone that wants to make something in the book, you know, you when you do that, even in a cookbook, uh, and especially in a cookbook, but um, all kinds of trade manuals and technique manuals, you know, you, you, um, photos will only get you so far, you know. And right. And I, I wanted to ask about that because, um, yeah, this is, this has beautiful photos by your husband, right, Ula? And who's photographed Haiti's books for years, I, I understand. Uh, and he always said it's like miniature architecture. Yeah. actually a architectural photographer. That's what he does, photographer. Okay, right. And did the publisher just go for, you said we want to have illustrations, like diagrams and uh, photos, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and they yeah. went for that. Yeah. yeah. They approved of it, and the same as the pictures, because they wanted to use their photographer originally. Okay. And then we showed him parts, everything, and they said, fine, you know, so. Right, right. Okay, and, and the I... Band, the belly bent. Oh, yeah, wait. I want you to read the, um, the dedication in the book, because I really like it. Okay. Okay, I read it. To everyone... No, start over. To okay. everyone who has ever engaged with one of our structures, you contributed to the popularity of these structures by making them and then passing them on. There was always your collective voice asking for a comprehensive volume of instructions. This book is dedicated to you. I love that. So wonderful. I love that too. Yeah, everybody likes that a lot. You know? mm -hmm. And it's so true. It is true. I mean, mm -hmm. we just came up with this idea together, basically. It's, it's the whole reason we still who, know about these. Yeah, who, who should mm -hmm. we dedicate this book to? Not, <laughs> no, not a senior person. You have to right. dedicate many people and then we made the you know we worked it out yeah yeah okay so the belly band it's very unique i had to take it apart and look at it and see because it looks like they commercially folded it and it does have yeah, a straight edge so what designed it's a belly band well i i designed um the fact so they said they wanted to do a belly band and we kept thinking what's a belly band like who even knew what that was um, they had this idea of this diagonal fold. We said we wanted it to be a real fold. Um, oh, rather than printed? Rather mm -hmm. than printed. Um, and, then, and then importantly, you hear all the sort of, this is all the technical parts of, you know, making a book. Was the book going to be shrink-wrapped? You know, was it going to, you know, was this belly band going to catch on other books and be ripped? And, and then we said, well, we wanted it to be functional so that you could actually put something in there like a pocket. And then, so then the, the edge of the fold, so that every edge was folded so it doesn't catch other things and rip easily. That was sort of the, the main um, thing about finessing the design. Um, but the designer at Lawrence King, Alex Coco, who is, you know, amazingly talented, he came up with the graphics of it and the idea of, uh, you know, that this book really needed a belly band. Um, so after having drawn and designed, uh, you know, 600 different d diagrams, it was kind of easy to do that diagonal 
cut at the bottom that, <laughs> that you noticed. Um, and, and I love it now. You know, we can stick a, a, a note in there or some, a little model you're working on or, or whatever. Maybe people will eventually cast them aside, but there it yeah. is. Yeah, I hadn't thought of that, tucking something in there. It's a pocket. And just in case people don't get what a belly band is, because I immediately understood what we were talking about, but it is like a wrapper that wraps around the book, but it's not the full. It's like a belt <laughs> that you're, you're wearing. Yeah. It's a minimal dust, 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 dust jacket. jacket. Right. It's a fun element. And, and again, you know, that was uh, another thing we have to thank Lawrence King for, you know, just the amount of production value that they put into this book. Um, you know, we really didn't have to, we, when they talked about the belly band, I said, I don't know about the belly band. All I know is that we want this to be a sewn book so that it will lie flat so that when people are making these things, their book is lying flat. So mm -hmm. I said, if it comes down to it, please sew the book, make it, make it a sewn binding and, and forget about the belly band. And, um, and they ended up giving us both. So and Yay, did you Lawrence notice King. how nice the book opens, how flat it lies? Yeah, I just tried it. It does open nice and flat. It's yeah. It's very nice. It's very nice. Hey, listeners, let's take a little break here. And I want to let you know that the 2019 12 Months of Paper calendar is now available. I'm delighted to announce that I'm donating $5 from each calendar sale to Paper for Water. And I hope you'll join me by making a purchase today. Join a DIY paper community and create fun and beautiful paper objects for your home or to give us gifts with this combination how-to book and calendar. The calendar is filled with 12 fun paper projects for the whole family to create together, and an additional paper pack features a curated collection of decorative papers from around the world. If you're listening to this podcast before October 22, 2019, there's also a free gift with every purchase. Go to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y slash 12 months of paper. Spell out the word 12 to get your calendar and a free gift. Now back to the show. Yeah, I love how the book is so professional and personal, though. There's like a picture of Hades toolkit, which is really feels very personal, you know, to see that. And I was really happy. The, that whole tool section, the beginning section is very fun to read and not too long and informative. And I was happy to see that I had most of those tools. Um, do you got, do you have a favorite tool, Haiti? Well, I don't have really one favorite tool. I have a couple of favorite tools that were all made by my friends. Uh -huh. Jim Croft. Oh yeah. He, um, Shanna Dan, um, you know, and you know, those are the tools I use. And I, sometimes I, I got uh, many, many years ago, I got a, a beautiful little awl from Martha Little. Oh, it has a, a horn handle, and I just love that awl, you know. Right. And, and I, I would be very upset if I ever lost it. Right. So it become very much part of the process, you know. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I forgot to mention, Ula, you did all of the illustrations, right? You took Hades hand-drawn illustrations and rendered them on the computer. Hand-drawn, but sometimes very sketchy. 
Well, so the, the thing about the drawings in the book are that they are based on very much on Haiti's hand drawings, which are, which are her signature kind of um, way of drawing paper that makes you, you know, it's a technical drawing, but you also want to love it. Like you want to look at that drawing with the way the paper is, you know, illuminating and you want to say, I want to make that thing, you know, instead of a, you know, a flat a plan. Um, is a plan. So, you know, architecturally, I could have made um, axonometrics mm -hmm. and I could have made um, very straight line drawings, but I really did try to capture, Haiti would draw a general sense of what the directions should look like. And then I um, created, recreated them and filled in all the sort of intermediary steps in Illustrator. That's the program I used. And I used that program and not an architectural drawing program because in fact you need to have, I mean, we talked about the fact that you need to have some distortion, you know, to, mm -hmm. um, you don't want a blow up axonometric like your engine. You need a little bit of like shifting and, and there has to be a little fudging um, in order to see everything. Um, right. So these are not uh, strict 3D model sort of AutoCAD drawings. They are very, very much, um, they're vector digital drawings, but they're very much trying to maintain Haiti's, um, you know, style. Right. And Wonderful. And also just to make it fun to draw, you know, to actually try to make, it as beautiful as the photographs and as beautiful as the book structures and you know I mean to kind of keep everything kind of looking kind of yummy is is always the that was always the test that we had with any set of instructions was uh, does this look beautiful <laughs> because right. you know you don't want to like oh no this looks like work <laughs> right right looks like door to make this fold <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. And Haiti, I want to talk to you a little bit about paper because that's this is paper talk. And I'm sure you've experimented with many papers and your your list of materials is fairly succinct. And I wondered, is that um, because those are your favorite papers? Those are the ones that work the best? Well, this is very succinct. Succinct, like a, a small list. It's not a lot of papers. I'm sure you've worked with more. It's really kind of because I think we wanted to bring the point across that any paper, this this paper, anything that's similar to the, that small group will work, you know, in right. or whatever. I mean, I didn't want to list like hundreds of papers. And I don't use that many papers. I right. use basically the papers that we put down there are the ones that, that we use a lot. Right, you get used to your, you you build a vocabulary, your own paper. One of my favorites because it's just so, it folds so well and it's so um, durable, you know. Which one? Elephant hide. Elephant hide, yeah, yeah, that's fantastic. Well, tell me about the Zanch board because, you know, I noticed that's a handmade paper and I make paper. Yeah, curious. the Zanch board is, is something I found um, in the early 80s at New York Central. They had it in just in one cut in, in a in a um, off white, you know, uh -huh. and, and the thick part, the thicker part. And I just thought this is the greatest paper I've ever seen. 
and I got I got a lot and I used it for it was pretty heavy. I used it for enclosures and everything. Then many, many years later, I, um, I have a, a Dutch friend who, who has all the synapsarant paper and he told me all about it and it's made in a windmill in Holland. Uh-huh. And it was originally made from the windmill, um, you know. The oh, the sails? The sails. The sails. Oh. Well, it got so popular, he ran out of sails. Well, the windmills are almost all now. Right. So there's no replacement. So he didn't have enough anymore. So now he's importing um, cotton from uh, India mostly. Okay. He's a one man operation and we visited him. Yeah. And he, oh, it's just incredible. If you ever have you were in Holland. I was in Holland. I didn't know about it. (laughs) Now I do. Die. It was so great, and 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 everything is old, and the floors, and and he makes only like two kinds of paper. He makes a, the board and the thinner paper, and okay. he has a limited amount of colors, which are nice, and that's what he does. Wow! Sizes, shapes. He makes very um, um, rectangular pieces and uh, big, small, very small pieces. You know. And, mm-hmm. Well, I just love that paper. So anyway, so that's that. And Japanese paper, of course, you know. Right, and I wanted to ask about the French paper because when you contributed, oh, you paper. contributed your projects to playing with paper. You yeah. you sent me. They were designed with this paper that you designed, and it was printed. Very simple, just black on different colors. Yeah, you saw. You tell tell about that. The French paper is um, is a, a family-owned company in Wisconsin, and we have used their papers um, for years. I've done it. I mean, I think I ordered a thousand sheets of their newsprint in the late '90s, and I still am using it. Mm-hmm. Um, but their construction line, their their um, their butcher paper, their newsprint. Um, Do you know them? No. Oh, they're in. I know of them, but yeah, you should get them. samples. They have wonderful sample books. Beautiful colors. They expand um, their, their stock all the time. And they're and they're. Um, I love it because when you call them, you're probably going to speak to somebody in the family, or at least somebody that can then put you on to somebody that knows. You know, they're they're a very. Um, they're still not a corporate um, company, and they uh, are incredibly innovative. They work a lot mm-hmm. with printers. They have papers that work really well with printing, um, all sorts of weights, all kinds of textures, and um, and they're really trying to recreate some of those old papers that we love, like butcher paper and newsprint. Uh-huh. Um, so uh, I guess in the 90s, I had started printing. I was living in Chinatown in lower Manhattan, and um, I was working with my office, the architecture firm with an, uh, a printer nearby down the street. And at one point I asked him, could you print on two sides, a pattern on two sides of the paper? Cause we're always looking for paper that has a pattern, a simple pattern, but not too, um, you know, not too complicated, but on both sides of the paper. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, sure. And so I ordered, um, you know, a couple of reams of French paper and he printed them up and then Haiti saw them and she was like, oh, I want to do more of these. So then we came up with a whole, a whole line of 
patterns that we printed, and that was the last time we did it. It was probably 10 or 15 years ago. We did like uh, 10 patterns at least. Yeah. Different colors and and different different weights. You know, so. Oh, fantastic. And when we run out of those, we're going to have to, the the print fact, you know, I don't know what we're going to do, but we'll do it again. Um, So. I do point, we do point out in the book that, that those are not available at French paper, but you know, but they um, do have, but patterns. they do have pattern papers yeah. as well. Right. Right. We just love their papers. I I've always loved And their then papers. the other thing is they're fairly affordable. They're not expensive. You know, it's not, I don't know about the, the acidity of them or so, whatever. It's good. Right. For- yeah. Good folding paper. I like that. Okay, so let's get into the bulk of the book, which is the projects. And I guess you whittled it down to 36 projects, and you, you broke it into, what is it, five different sections. Yeah. You know, the accordion, is there, that's the first section, the accordion. Mm-hmm. Do you remember, like, how you, I mean, were accordions folded? I remember folding accordions in school. I have this weird memory of that but i'm not sure like yeah, how did you, you everybody makes a fan you go you make a fan okay always make another food you measure you blah blah yeah so, totally wrong way yeah exactly i just thought fold it in half fold it in quarters fold it in eighths fold it in sixteenths fold it in 30 seconds if you want a different kind of combination start with three parts fold those in half and that's all you need. If you want more, you have to leave a little bit of paper extra that you can later then fold in. If you want less, you cut off a few pieces. So that's how, for me, it works the best. Right. And there's no measuring, no rulers. Measuring. It's all based on, it's mathematical, but it's based on the... Concertina that is or an accordion that's two inches wide and you want 16 se- sections, you cut your paper so it's two inches. Right. There is math. There's just I mean, no there's measuring. Math. Yeah, <laughs> right. That means you measure, but then no more measure. Right, right. Yeah. A, a little tiny bit less than two inches, who cares? You know? Right. There's right. No, there's no a judge that later comes to the room and says, hey, really exactly two inches. Yeah. You can imagine how many years I resisted throwing away my ruler <laughs> being an architect, but... um. I oh, am yeah. a convert. Yeah, Ula is, uh, Ula is always with a ruler. Not anymore. Uh, <laughs> I saw you using a ruler. Well, anyway. <laughs> I don't use, I mean, I use them too, of course, you know. But of course, yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then the next section is the blizzards. And I think there's a story behind the naming of that, at least. The blizzard? Yeah. Yeah, that's a, the, the day of the blizzard. It was in 1996 in Philadelphia, and everything was shut down. It was just like incredible, you know. Uh-huh. So no work. So there's a, a a a free day, you know, that you don't really have any plans for. Right. So, and I happened to have a big roll of white paper, so I just cut huge strips, and I started folding. I started as always, not always, but most of the time I start with an accordion fold. Mm-hmm. And that's what I did. And then I had, I made like several, and then I, each one I tried this and this and this, and 
the whole day I folded and in the evening there was this one thing that then became the Blizzard book. Wow. And, uh, that made it was very exciting. And I was just talking to Ulla this morning. It it is the one that branched out in so many different things. And mm -hmm. I really I'm not at the end yet, but so we call it the Blizzard clan. All the, the whole the whole oh. little chapter, you know, there are all these different things. Yeah, there yeah. are like I mean, the box, the pocket, right, the, right. They're all a little different, and yet they're all based on the same idea. Yeah, and I wanted to know how you store all of your fold samples, and do you keep them all? Are there? Do you throw things away, recycle? So I keep them in boxes, and I, I I label the boxes, and and let's say there's a box called lizards, right? They're all blizzards. I have now. Three blizzard boxes. Right. Builds over. I save it all, and that was really good for the book, you know, because we got oh. everything and, and made our selection. And you see. The, the trick with Hades boxes is that um, her husband, Jurgen, who's an archivist and collector, he had this brilliant idea, I don't know, 20 years ago when he first came actually mm -hmm. to Philadelphia to have these boxes made by a corrugated corrugation company and they're they measure 12 by 18 by one and a half inches and they're 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 flat but then you fold them together you put them together like a cardboard box it turns out that these boxes hold just enough yeah models and enough papers so that you can have like a few thoughts in a box and it's not like a big banker's box it's not and they're like little map fold boxes and they stack evenly. And so then when we were building Hades Studio a few years ago, we built these custom shelves where five of those boxes could go. And then I think you were, you had 10 shelves or 10. Um, I have over a hundred boxes. Yes. But they were specifically like, it was like a, it was like a cataloging system right. so that yeah. you can easily access them. Yeah. And you can and standardize you have five them. in a stack, you can pull the lowest one out without removing the others because they're lightweight. Right. So you hold the others while you pull. You hold the others, pull the yeah. lowest one out, they drop down. Ah, okay. Clever. Yeah. I was going to ask whether they were horizontal or vertical. Yeah, they're horizontal. And then when you go to a workshop, you bring that yeah. box. I bring, you know, yeah, I use these boxes all the time. My husband had like, I think he had a thousand made. And we wow. still have a good supply. And we've given away a lot of them. You know, Ulla has kicked this also over this mess. Yes, I store a lot thing. of things. Yeah. 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 So oh. Find a box you like, order a bunch of them, and uh, set up a, you know, it's it, because in the flat file holds paper, but um, but the models need, they need space. They need, right. a, they need a box. Right, right. Cool. Um, and then let's just briefly go through the next sections. The one-sheet books, is there a favorite or a story you can tell about a one-sheet book? What's your favorite well, one-sheet? I, I don't know what my favorite is, but it basically it started all out with, with that one sheet folded in four sections, cut in the middle, and then, you know, you everybody. Yeah. The pamphlet like, fold, inch fold. Uh, Paul Johnson was a big, you know. Yes. And... That's where it started out. And, and mm -hmm. what I love about it is that you can make a drawing, a print, whatever, and then you fold it, you know, and you have to position it and, you know, upside down or whatever. 
And I mean, for, in the printmaking um, uh, department, the students make prints all the time. The one sheet books are so great because um, right. they go, you know, you design a print and you have to kind of really design it. You have to make the model first and see how everything goes and then you design the print. And right. You know, no, that's the, fantastic, yeah. It's Bob Tettenbaum at, at, in Oregon, the College of Arts and Crafts, and that's what we did. We printed big sheets and then folded them down. Yes, and there's also, um, I mean, there are a lot of other books in, structures in our book that are one-sheet books that aren't even in that chapter. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a real category of book arts, people right. that make, and it's also map making and how to fold large sheets of paper down into small portable, you know, accessible right. structures where you like, you know, the, very much influenced by map folds where you can right. access a part of the piece of paper without unfolding the whole thing um, out, you know, in the middle of Paris or Rome, you know. <laughs> right. Uh, so a lot of the inspiration comes from right. the map folds. Um, right. I yeah, my favorite one, I think, is the, um, well, I do actually have a lot of favorites, but I love the triangular book because it, um, it talk about recycling. It doesn't waste anything. Doesn't you do, waste anything. The, you, you make the, the pages. The cover is the, the center. You know, you make the print and you cut the center out. That becomes the cover. Ah, yeah. Edge, you know, those triangular folds. And, so that's a very nice project for uh, somebody to design it and then have it silk screen or printed in any other way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I love that, uh, how you can transform one sheet of paper into something. Yeah. It's, it's fantastic. Okay, and then there's a section of albums, and I think there's a story about Per Tamsen. Per Tamsen. Am I saying that right? Yes, he's a friend of um, ours from Norway. We met him, or I've known him um, many years. He he uh, he's one of the inspirations for that book, mostly because um, I mean we didn't work with him. Mom didn't work with him developing that book, but he and that's was, a, the spider book, the spider yeah. book in the album section. Mm -hmm. um, we always mention him in that in that in relation to that book because you know sometimes you're doing something that's totally other than book arts and and you see something and you're like i think that might work you know it's the taking something apart and how did how did what idea can i take it's like haiti's uh, piano hinge that comes from a door hinge you know it's that um but he was in an architecture workshop design workshop i was teaching in in 95 and they were all architecture students. They were all from uh, Scandinavia. And we were mapping the Lower East Side. We were doing a, um, not even a book project, but we were, they were measuring the city and developing a site. And anyway, we came back and they were working in paper and he had developed this um, way of doing the incrementally small folds that sort of gave all this space you know, to the layer below. And I remember like looking at it and thinking that is really interesting. And then I went up to um, Pine Hill where mom now lives and we were sitting out on the deck and I said, mom, I have to show you this detail. And we spent the next day or I don't know, maybe it was a week later, um, all day long, 
kind of playing with it. And at the end of it, she had sort of, I mean, it, I think it took, it probably, before it became the Spider book, it probably took several months, but that's where that album. That's where it originally. It's like, a, yeah, the genesis of something is sometimes a tiny little detail, you know, mm -hmm. that you see in an entirely different place. Um, and the reason it's called the Spider Book, obviously, is because it. Yeah, know, the way it's, it's on the picture, you know, it looks like. Looks like a daddy long legs. Eight, eight, eight legs and a little head and a little body. Right. You know, right. I still see, we're still very good friends with Pear, and his wife, Beata, is my, one of my closest friends, and I still see them, and, I, and he's like, I have no idea why <laughs> you associate my name with that structure. And I'm like, well, you know, it's. it's um, just one of those things. So um, that's another thing that we also try to acknowledge in the book is, you know, that there's this exchange of ideas and, and um, one, one needs to, you know, right, protect your, um, your own inventions, but there's also this sort of free uh, exchange of ideas. And Haiti's always been an incredibly generous about the way that she's put her structures out into the world um teaching them and and you know people have really taken them and run with them and that's you know what we want this book to do but right can i say something there when yeah you, you say talk about the piano hinge right mm -hmm. you learned it in, the, in a workshop but then you took it and you experimented with it but this is exactly what we want people to do right right to, to that, to, they, they maybe they, they need to make the model as it's described in the book first to get the technique and, uh, and to understand what, but then go out, do do something to it. Don't don't stay with it, you know. Yeah, and that's a wonderful. Um, yeah, and then hopefully they share with you what they ended up making. I mean, that's what I love as an, as a teacher, and I. Yeah, I saw the piano hinge and uh, somehow came up with the idea that envelopes were a pocket. You may have shown me that too. And then that I could do the piano hinge on the side of an envelope because it's, it has the two layers instead of having to fold a sheet in half. And then I could put something in. Cut also, which I you did not put that in the book because there wasn't enough space anymore. Right. Which is actually great because then you don't have to be so exact that all the uh, the tubes completely um match you know mm -hmm. you know what i'm talking about that little cut yep yeah and then the, you can see the stick sword right oh i didn't hear the first part you said did i do the triangle cut yeah i think you and did. you did yeah yeah because it was hard to make the pages wiggle right so yeah yeah, it's wonderful, inventing. Okay, and then the last section is enclosures. And um, anything special to say about one of those projects? Yeah, the enclosures were actually, the, the, the two, two enclosures in there that were pretty much, that does the newest things, mm. the latest thing that were added to the book. And where you talk about them, um, so the slingfold is probably one of Haiti's latest, most recent um, inventions as a book, and um, it it is 
completely delights people. We were just at the New York Book Fair, Printed Matters New York Book Fair, the last three days. And um, we were there with our my brother, her son, Jonas, who has a bookstore, two bookstores in Brooklyn, and he was presenting our book. And, um, and in the course of it, he had made some of the books, right, that, that we were going to, because we wanted to have table models so people could have tactile experiences with them. And he was so delighted with the slingfold he just kept showing people come here look at this and it's this complete surprise you know it's a flat book that you pull apart and it and it turns into these arches um now that book is actually also it haiti had um you know just played with that probably one weekend probably during another blizzard um <laughs> where we had uh, done the button fold, which is also in that chapter, that has this sort of threading paper through itself to create this um, kind of open-ended envelope. Um, and I think that might have, you know, been something I had seen in a, in a camera journal. I, I collect trade no, manuals. You have a trade manual, but there's something like that. And it holds back. a ruler, and it was a yeah. spiral-bound thing. And so then right. we turned that thing into the sewn, now I say sort of sewn paper, but it's not sewn. It's actually just paper threaded through itself. Right. Um, anyway, Haiti says, well, one flap isn't enough. Let's do five. And so then she just creates this, like, um, you know, cascading wedding cake of pages and um it's so magical kids love it uh, yeah. uh you know it's but again finding the right paper to yeah. use to do that you know that's strong that has enough friction that you know and then but the, i love those ones i love those ones that um you know are kind of infinitely expandable um, I also like, you know, everybody who didn't love, you know, wrapping your school books on the first day of school, you know, yeah. to using the old paper bags. And then we've added a pleat to that. So there's something very comfort comforting about protecting your books and creating little boxes. Right. I guess a lot yeah. of it comes from your conservation background. Too. It does. Definitely. Uh -huh. Yeah. 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 What's your favorite? Well, I like that Starbucks that is based on this sewing machine box, you know. Oh, the, yeah. The thing of wooden boxes that are lined with velvet, yes. with right. all the accessories right. in there. Yeah, yeah. That's based on that. Okay, yeah, I love that. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, we're going to wrap up, and I want to um, hear about the book is, the publication date is October 2nd, is that correct? Yeah. And we're talking on September 23rd. And this podcast is going to come out a little bit after that. But what sort of things are you doing around the book coming out? Well, we did yesterday the fair. Mm -hmm. <laughs> we're going to be in Bloomington, Indiana for, um, oh, well, that will, at the end of October. Um, and then uh, we're teaching a workshop. Um, few workshops in New Jersey and New York, and we'll probably have some book signings. Those will be on our website. They'll be posted on our website. And Art what of, is the website? Artofthefold.com? Artofthefold.com. Um, and as well as on Instagram. Instagram, it's the Art of the Fold at the Art of the Fold. Um, we're also, uh, yeah, never, what are I'm, I'm not really sure. We're so kind of... I'm kind of anxious to get it over with. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> the 
wanted to get back to her studio. <laughs> right. So I wanted to ask what both of you, what else you're both doing now? Well, actually, I, um, I started to, when I moved out here, I joined a co-op gallery. And I'm doing a bit of two-dimensional work, including oh. drawings, watercolors, collages, uh, because you know, the, I have a very large garden now and the landscape and everything. So I want to just create some images. And, and being a member of the gallery, everybody is a painter. I, I, did, I still show books, but now I had a show and there's walls. I have to have something to put uh -huh. on the walls. <laughs> right. so I have stands with books and shelves, but I also have pieces on the wall. And what's the name of the gallery? Uh, long year, one word. Long, long year. year gallery. Okay. You, you can look at their website. It's a it's a very nice website. Is it in Pine Hill? Uh, no, it's in Marketville. It's the next town. I mean, nearby town yeah. nearby. Yeah. Okay. And Ula, what are you working on? Um, well, I'm always um, looking for the next project, which is usually something new. I've um, you know, I do a lot of collaborations with other artists. Um, I do fabrication. I love to, uh, I have a wood shop and a paper studio, so, which is sort of a bindery paper studio. So it, I'm a little bit like um, what side of the bed I get up and determines, you know, if I put on my boots, I'm probably <laughs> in the wood shop. And if I put on my sandals, I'm probably in the paper studio. So, um, I noticed you did a collaboration with Elsa Mora. I did do a collaboration with Elsa Mora. And she, um, she had the blog for a long time. What's, what was it called? Do you know? A paper blog. She has a, all about paper cutting. All about paper cutting, yeah. And she now has a blog called um, Art is the Way. Um, I have become friends with her in the last year and a half, actually, through my daughter, who works with Elsa. Okay. And, um, and Elsa also lives up here near Haiti in Woodstock. Um, she's an amazing, amazingly creative woman with paper, entirely different than the way we use paper. Mm -hmm. Like she uses it sculpturally and three-dimensionally. You'd say, okay, well, that sounds like the same way you do, but it is entirely different. So um, I just love her. And we, um, well, we did a project together that was, unlike either of our work. Um, so I'm very excited about doing things with her in the future. Um, yeah, other artists really, um, I always need somebody to come into my studio and say, how about this? And then I'm like, okay, and then I start thinking, yeah, how would we do that? So I yeah, love to collaborate. A, she's a problem solver. She's amazingly uh, versatile, you know, on, on every level. Mm -hmm. yeah, I'm not your, such a great self-starter. I'm, I'm she, usually... She can design your kitchen. She can make, sew your dress. She can make your sweater. She can make a book. She can build um, a table, you know, everything. Right. And I, you, I like to just do different things. And you two seem to enjoy each other's company. Do you ever oh, have spats? Yeah. <laughs> do we ever have spats? <laughs> I think I mean, not all to mention that we had a few little run-ins during the time we did the book. <laughs> I think the only spats we've ever had in our life were dur dur during the course of writing this book. <laughs> okay. 
Yeah, I was going to ask earlier whether the ruler was used in any other way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, Haiti Kyle and Ula Warshall, it's been a real treat. I wish you the best with this book and your other endeavors. And thanks for coming on Paper Talk. Well, thank you, Helen. Hey, paper friends. Did you know that I write a weekly blog called The Sunday Paper, featuring stories of people doing exciting, innovative, and beautiful things with paper? Sign up at HelenHebertStudio.com slash blog. I'm also creating a lot of content over here, and the best way to stay up to date is to join my newsletter list to learn about free tutorials, online classes, workshops, and the annual Redcliffe Paper Retreat, which takes place right here at Helen Hebert Studio. You can sign up at HelenHebertStudio.com to receive my e-newsletter. This wraps up our episode, and if you enjoyed it, I'd appreciate it if you could leave a review over on iTunes. This helps other people find out about the podcast. Special thanks to Gary A. Hansen for the sound editing and Peter Thomas for the music. Visit HelenHebertStudio.com and click on Paper Talk, where you can find out more about them, subscribe to the series via iTunes, and listen to other episodes and access all of the archived shows. I'll talk to you soon. Besides the season, the main contain.